All right, welcome back to another episode of the Psychopedia Podcast. I am your co-host, Tank Sinatra, here with my co-host... Investigator Slater. We are gruesome, but with a little bit of dark humor. We like to lighten things up. So, listen, I got some good feedback from Christina P. from uh, Your Mom's House podcast. I love talking, obviously. I like hearing about the case. But she goes, this is like porn for people, you know? And I was like, oh, so if I talk too much, is that like taking too long delivering the pizza? Should I just... And she's like, yes, but no. Like, obviously, be yourself, but don't... Like, they want to hear the good shit. You know what I mean? The details, the blood, the psychology, the insanity. So let's serve it up. We are going to. However, before... Listen, here's the deal. Motherfuckers be listening now. The first couple episodes we recorded, we were just shouting into the ether, the void. And now people are listening, and I'm nervous. Why are you nervous? I'm kidding. I just wanted to, people are listening and I really want to thank them for listening and sharing it and writing us messages on Psychopedia Pod, on Instagram and the review. So I just want to read one review real quick because uh, it's from this person called Arangaroo on Apple. I like it. It's just a good name. I like it a lot. I wonder if they liked the uh, the kangaroo jokes that I made. Um, <laughs> they, I don't know if it's a he or she or a marsupial. The podcast is pure gold, amazing storytelling, factual, witty, intelligent, with the perfect sprinkle of comedic commentary. The pop quizzes. Woo! Genius creative twist and tank loves to fail, which is not true. I just do. I just failed. I don't love it. I listen to true crime daily. I drive for a living and I've never heard of these first five cases. Can't wait for more. So yay! I wanted to read that for you. I, I think you saw it, but I wanted to read that for you publicly so that, listen, I know I'm doing a good job. <laughs> You know, obviously. Yeah, I know what I do. I do nothing and I just say what I think is funny at the time. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But you, Investigator Slater, really work hard on the cases, trying to find ones that are interesting to you and digging deep into them. And you're very diligent about your research. So I wish I had an applause button here because I would hit it, but just <laughs> clap, <laughs> it, clap it up for you. So that review was for you because she said, oh. I love to fail which was an insult to me, but I'm fine with it. It's all in good fun. And you, I hope you brought a doozy. Me you, too. You did say it was going to be interesting to me. This is very interesting. This case, for me, is like hits me perfectly. It really delves into the human psyche. And I think that this case is a good representation of why people love true crime. Ooh. Right? So we got heat sometimes, right? You and I, especially you, to be honest, about doing true crime. A lot of people have, you know, take issue with talking about somebody's worst day, right? But I think that what those people don't realize perhaps is that true crime is so much more than that. It gives it gives people the ability to dive deep into the various layers of complexity to human nature. And we've said that before on the show, but it's a reminder. And this case in particular for me just sent me down a rabbit hole. I love it. I hope our listeners love it. I hope you love it. Yeah, this is not murder porn. It's like I'm fa I'm I look at it like an exploratory of the human brain, which is quite fascinating but also frightening. So, I don't know these stories at all. I don't know any of them. So when you tell me about them, I'm like, wow. And each one hits you a different way. Is that accurate to say? Oh, yeah. Right. Let's get to the case because you said it's interesting and I... Uh, it's fascinating. Fascinating. And okay. you'll tell me if you agree. Let's go. Okay. Wait. But okay. before we dive into this mind-bending and somewhat legally groundbreaking case, let me first pose to you and our listeners a very real question. 
Okay. Do you think it's possible for someone to consent to their own homicide? And I'm not talking about euthanasia, which is assisted suicide in the context of terminal illness to end suffering. I'm asking whether it's possible for someone to willingly conspire in their own murder for the ultimate and final sexually gratifying experience. And crucially, who do you think would be responsible if and when that homicide were to occur? What the fuck? So I was with you until you said the ultimately sexually gratifying experience. So this is somebody who's like, you know what? I've done it all, man. I climbed Mount Everest. I smoked weed with Snoop. I fucking (laughs) bought toys at FAO Schwartz. Like, what more can I do? I need to be fucked and killed to feel anything. It's a fetish. It's a paraphilia, which we will go on to hear. But the question that I'm asking, and you don't have to have an answer for it right now. I mean, you can take a shot. The floor is yours. But do you think it's possible for someone to consent to their own homicide? Um, yes. Okay. However, the person who commits the homicide is also still responsible for homicide. Agreed. Yeah. So it's not like they're off the hook, but it's not like, you know, they told me to do it. It gets tricky legally. So tonight's case centers around an individual who was both perpetrator and victim, predator and prey. We're jumping headfirst into the absolutely fascinating world of an ordinary appearing person with an extraordinary, terrifying, and statistically very rare interior. This is the case of internet entrepreneur Sharon Lapotka, who was killed in a presumed case of consensual homicide. Oh, so she was killed? She was. Because I don't know the name and I don't want to spend time looking it up, but I do remember hearing a story about a woman who hired somebody to kill her, but then called it off. She did not call it off. So this is obviously a different case, but it just goes to show you that this exists in the world. Sharon Lapotka was born Sharon Lena Denberg on September 20th, 1961 in Baltimore, Maryland. She was the eldest of four daughters born and raised in an Orthodox Jewish home. Her father, Abraham, worked as a cantor at the family's local synagogue, Beth Tefillah, which was Baltimore's largest Orthodox Jewish synagogue. And for those not up to speed on Judaic studies, a cantor is someone who sings and leads the congregants in prayer in religious Jewish services. A cantor. A cantor. And they almost always have bad breath and spit all over you. Why do they have bad breath? They just do. I have never known a cantor with minty fresh breath. It's rough. They're singing? They're singing. They're leading the congregation in prayer. Maybe their mouth gets dry. Probably. But, or I just feel like every single one has halitosis. Oh, it's like it's bad. bad. Oh, it's not like... And they spit all over the people in the front row. So I guess their mouth isn't dry. Right. right. Or maybe it is because they're <laughs> spitting everywhere. <laughs> By all accounts, Sharon's childhood was completely typical. She was a good student, played sports like volleyball and field hockey, and sang in the school choir. When we investigate true crime cases, we can often point to a tumultuous upbringing, right? Or a traumatic childhood event that helps us to grasp at some kind of explanation behind deviant behavior. Like in the Ken and Barbie killers, it was clear that Paul Bernardo completely unraveled after he learned about his mother's extramarital affair when he was only 16. It created in him this firmly established irreparable hatred of women. We can kind of put our finger on something that happened in addition to likely how he was born. 
it's like free radicals activating cancer cells. The cancer cells have to be there, but they have to be activated also. So Yeah, well said. Thank you so much. But in the case of Sharon Lapotka, there really isn't anything to point to and say, oh, that explains it. Although maybe, just maybe, her overt normalcy was in and of itself a red flag. Almost like she was hiding in plain sight, you know? In 1991, Sharon married a construction worker named Victor Lapatka. Given that Sharon was from a traditional Orthodox Jewish family and Victor was Catholic, Sharon's family did not support the marriage. They were said to have been embarrassed and even ashamed that Sharon would marry outside of the religion, especially since the family quite literally dedicated their lives to Judaism. For years, right after college, I worked at a modern Orthodox Jewish school in Manhattan. And I can confirm that the lives of devout followers of Orthodox Judaism, their lives revolve around like strictly upholding to its teachings. There's no room sort of for going like outside of the lines. And do they, or is it just on the outside they do? They do, at least in my experience. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, listen, there's always going to be people that go rogue and people that break the rules, but just like as a whole, yeah, they were very, very strict adherents to the religious law in all aspects of life. Like no writing checks on Saturday. No doing anything on Saturday, which is the Sabbath. You can't turn on a light. You can't turn on your stove. You can't rip toilet paper. You can't rip toilet no, paper? Why? What happens? that takes effort and work and you're not supposed to be doing that on the Sabbath. You're supposed to be resting. It's a very serious commitment. And that commitment reaches into all aspects of life from like we were talking about observing the Sabbath to eating only kosher food to women covering their hair after marriage to women and girls only wearing conservative knee length skirts and covering their shoulders and their chest. And then you have the ultra super devout who won't even touch the hand of the opposite sex. Did I ever tell you how I hugged a rabbi and he elbowed me in the face. No. Yeah. <laughs> it was so traumatizing. How old were you? This was at my job post-college. Oh my God. Well, why did you hug him? Uh, I'll tell you. It's obviously your fault. I'm obviously, I feel like you're totally looking at me disgusted right now. Like, how <laughs> could I? It was my birthday. The whole office got me flowers, which was really nice. So I went around the room hugging and thanking everyone. And I could feel people tensing <laughs> as I was walking towards the rabbi. In retrospect. It, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. I went to give him a hug and the fact that I was touching him was a very big problem. And he literally elbowed me. Wait, so he hugged you back and then he elbowed you? He did not hug me back. Oh, he, he didn't. stood there appalled, probably equally embarrassed. I just didn't realize, I, obviously, and I'm Jewish, but I'm not Orthodox. And I did not realize that you can't touch the opposite sex in this sect of the religion. So when we would go to events, Dave and I, my husband and I, I would tell him, keep your hands in your pocket because you're going to want to reach out to shake a woman's hand because that's just what you do in the outside of this event that we're at. But you can't do it. In normal life. We're not going to say it's abnormal. We're going to say oh, it's different. Well, well, you don't have to say it. I'm not saying it. But I'm going to say... Get a grip, Rabbi. Well, it was humiliating. Obviously, it was humiliating. Probably more for you than for him. 100% more for me. Okay, good. Yeah. Listen, God, yes, sure. 
I guess if you're raised that way and it's all you know and you live in the neighborhood and you work with the people and you marry and yada, yada, yes, of course. Like, But sorry, dude, not everyone knows your stupid fucking rules for life. And I'm not saying you, Rabbi, I'm saying everyone in general. Not everyone knows how you like your pancakes made. You got to tell people and it's okay that people don't know. You don't have to like elbow somebody in the face over it. I feel like the kinder approach would have been to receive the hug and pull me aside after and say, hey, obviously you didn't know this. I'm a respectful person. He knew this about me. You know what I mean? Pull me aside privately and say, hey, just so you know, part of our religion dictates that as a married man, I cannot receive physical touch from a woman. I would have apologized. I never would have hugged him again. I never would have gone near him again, probably. But instead he... He elbowed me, but I think also he had a visceral response. He was equally as shocked in his defense. Um, I have rules, and if you don't abide by them, I don't care because they're not your rules. They're my rules. What are some of your rules? I, I got no rules. I know one of your rules. <laughs> What's one of my rules? When we go out to dinner, uh-huh. like as couples, we have to like tell you in advance whether we plan to share appetizers with you because you need to mentally know how much you're going to eat and how much we're going to take off your plate so that you know how much to order. You do not like it. You're half right. Explain. Well, you don't have to tell me whether or not you're going to have appetizers, but if I have mentally ingested any amount of food in front of me, it is not up for grabs. I can't even have a taste. We need to discuss that beforehand. Right. This is what I've learned. Yeah, no sips, no bites. I'm not fucking like, so yeah, I don't think I have many rules, but one rule is like sharing needs to be determined beforehand. Understood. For sure. Okay, sorry. Back so to Sharon. Sharon marries Victor, who's not Jewish, and it's a problem in her family. One of Sharon's former classmates indicated that Sharon's marriage to Victor was a, quote, way of breaking away from her parents. And so maybe this is the first sign, if we're looking for signs, that Sharon was done following the rules of society. Sharon's family completely cut off all contact with her, and she never heard from them again. Really? That's sad. Which, given what she wound up doing down the line, I'd say her family would have found marrying outside of the religion the least of her transgressions, but... Because she's on Psychopedia. (laughs) Exactly. And we don't do marriage judgment. We do not. In 1991, Sharon and Victor relocated to Hampstead, Maryland, which is about one hour, 15 minutes away from Washington, D.C. Her neighbors at the time barely knew she lived in that house. That's how quiet and self-contained she was. Sharon stayed home a lot. And as such, she decided to figure out a way to make money without ever having to actually leave the house. She was an influencer? She was, she was an entrepreneur. <laughs> she was into remote working before remote working was even a thing spearheaded the whole thing. Sharon Lepotka. It's Sophia Franklin. And if you don't already know, listen up. My mini series is live now each and every Monday. And the only person missing is you. We're dating, we're dumping, we're learning, and we're tapping into all the feels that originally brought us together. Listen and follow Sophia with an F on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, it's the early 1990s, right? So at this stage, it's like around 1994 and the beginning of the internet era, which provided the opportunity and space for Sharon to develop into quite the online entrepreneur. Wow. She operated several well-established online businesses, including a home decor website called House of Dion, 
a psychic medium and spiritual advice page called The Land of Dion, and a page called Classified Concepts, where she rewrote ad copy for advertisers for $50 an ad. She basically also invented the concept of clickbait and ran several shameless money-making pages, including one that sold love potions to heartbroken teenagers. But most notably, Sharon also ran other types of websites and forums on which she would market something entirely different from throw pillows and divine advice. Pop quiz. Did Sharon operate A, a chat room where she marketed images of women drugging each other before having sex with each other? B, a co-ed pornographic website called Capital City Cuties, largely subscribed to by politicians, lawmakers, and judges? Or C, an interactive forum where customers would type in whatever they wanted to see Sharon do in front of a webcam, including, but not limited to, reciting Hebrew prayers while eating pork buns. Um, B, Capital Cuties. No. What the fuck? No. I once in college posed in this like swimsuit calendar called Capital City Coeds in D.C., and that's why I, I ripped it off from. Oh, wait, no. okay, so... There's a lot to digest there. Webcam, the prayers, and what was the first one? A chat room where women drugged each other and then engaged in sexual acts. Oh, jeez. Uh, it must be a chat room. Uh, well, they both were in this pop quiz. A. Yes, that is correct. Okay, good. Under the pseudonym Nancy Carlson... Sharon ran a website advertising VHS tapes that depicted women who were unconscious, drugged, hypnotized, or chloroformed, engaging in sexual acts with each other. And this is how the ad for the website read, quote, Hi, my name is Nancy. I just made a VHS video of actual women, willing and unwilling to be knocked out, drugged, under hypnosis, and chloroformed. Never before has a film like this been made that shows the real beauty of the sleeping victim. Jeez, what a freak. No actual evidence that she made these videos, by the way, or even had access to anything like that was ever found. Uh, oh, was she just taking she, people's money? Yeah, that, that's the theory, that she was just scamming people. And sending no videos. And sending no videos. But it's a great, great scam because... Who's going to call and complain? Hey, yo, I tried to get this video of these women drugging each other and then having sex with each other. And uh, she never sent the video. Yeah, it's like trying to tell a cop that you got robbed by a drug dealer. It's like, yeah, yes. rules do not apply here, buddy. That's another good example. That's a good, uh, I don't want to say a good idea by her, but she seems weird already. She's off. Yeah. But you said she was normal. Where's the normal? Well, she grew up in a very normal household. She was a very normal student. If you listen to interviews or read accounts of neighbors, friends, teachers, you know, relatives of hers growing up, there's sort of not one thing out of the ordinary that you can look at and say, "Mm, that's a sign. Maybe she really wasn't having all her shit together the way it looked. She married a construction worker. They moved into like a very basic town in Maryland. There really wasn't anything at all that jumped out. At this stage. Interesting. How old is she? Do we know? Um, so this was in 1994, and I said that she was born in 1961. So 33. It's young. Yeah. Another popular online persona that Sharon created was that of a 300-pound disciplinarian dominatrix who offered to physically crush men like bugs. 
Did you know, by the way, that crush fetishism is a thing and that crush videos are banned in the US and the UK? Why are they banned? Because there was a lovely time in our world when videos of living beings, like whether it was insects, reptiles, kittens, puppies, were being stomped on alive, usually by women wearing stiletto heels. Oh, no. So it's banned. I thought we were talking about human-to-human crushing. I mean, that's a, that's a fetish as well. Yeah, I feel like I have I may have known that. I've definitely heard of like stepping on somebody with high heels before. Yeah. It's not like I did it this past weekend, but I've heard of it before. Uh, <laughs> turning beet red. I'm not into it. I was at the hospital. No, I just, animals I don't get, but I guess there, if there's, whatever, man, people are really, they have no check. They have no governor internally to say, I'm into A. Maybe B is better. C is getting a little crazy. They wind up at fucking Q before they have a chance to even think about it. It's like, you gotta like, yeah, sure. We're sexual beings. We get hungry. We eat food. We need to sleep. These things are like part of being a human, but you gotta watch that shit. Well, this is it, right? We always say we're not here to kink shame and we're really not. But when it crosses a line into, you know, seriously damaging Yourself or another person? Or an animal. Or an, well, obviously not. Like what gets Don't get you, me started on that. How, how could you be turned on by somebody stomping on a rabbit with high heels? It's, it's a fetish. There's lots of fetishes we're going to explore in this episode, and you're going to be scratching your head. All right, good. I'm ready. Scratching my head is my fetish, so watch out, everybody. <laughs> good to know. <laughs> Hides behind the chair. <laughs> another persona she created was Miranda whom she described as a svelte, five foot six inch, 121 pound cyber woman. Sharon used that particular alias while advertising the sale of which of the following items? Oh, pop, pop quiz. quiz. A, worn panties. B, pubic hair clippings. C, vagina scented eau de parfum. Vagina scented eau de parfum? No. Wow. Um, Did you just want to say it? Uh, no, I, th- I thought that made the most sense. This person's, listen, Sharon, if you're listening, just kidding. I know you're not, or you could be. It doesn't matter. You're not. Um, I'm not talking to you anyway. Mind your fucking business, Sharon. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> She was ahead of her time. I'm not inspired by her, but I'm, I am very interested. You're impressed at oh, this yeah. point. Yeah. The whole worn panties thing was, there was a whole story about that. Wait, so what did she do? She sold worn panties? She sold, I just totally gave it away, didn't I? It's okay. She's, it was one of She two. sold worn panties. Well, I do know like the worn panties thing, Belle Delphine selling her bathwater, that e-girl. Have you ever heard that before? No. Oh, What's yeah. That? It was this big thing where like this girl, Belle Delphine, who was a girl who's obviously of age, but she appears to be very young and she makes herself look even younger by doing pigtails and wigs and outfits. She made like, I don't know, some ungodly amount of money selling her bathwater. And then during COVID, some girl was selling her farts in jars. That I saw. Then when she she wound up in a hospital. Why? Because she induced so much gas? So much gas, yeah. She put herself in a hospital. Then she's like, okay, I'm selling NFTs of my farts. Oh my God. <laughs> I didn't know that happened. So Sharon sold her worn panties or offered to sell her worn panties for money. And this is what her ad said, quote, I am 25, blonde, have green eyes, am 5'6", and weigh 121 pounds. Is anyone out there interested in buying my worn panties? This is not a joke or a wacky internet scam. I am very serious about this. And if you're serious too, you can email me. And where was she posting these advertisements? Does it say? She was visiting various fetish chat rooms and forums 
and boards and posting. Sharon also created profiles and usernames on websites featuring necrophilia, bondage, and sadomasochism. This chick was busy. And this was her thing, right? Creating fully developed online aliases with full personalities, skill sets, unique appearances, and very niche sexual proclivities. But it turns out that her real purpose for creating these complex alter egos, aside from bringing in those Benjamins, was to use them as a mechanism of self-destruction, which was, in fact, her ultimate sexual fantasy. In addition to creating content on her own websites, Sharon began exploring the new World Wide Web in pursuit of other websites that catered specifically to her very, very specific sexual tastes. Wow. And this is when we start to really see the mask of sanity slip right from Sharon's completely normal-looking face. Sharon had many a sexual fetish of her own, which, by the way, in and of itself, I'm going to repeat this, is totally okay. I'm not here to yuck somebody else's yum. We're not here to yuck your fuck. Right? You do you. (laughs) Yeah. You, You do someone else. You do lots of someone else's. I don't care. But it becomes pretty clear, right, that the direction that Sharon took her fetishes in warrants a little bit of kink shaming. I think. Well, yeah, because it's way past the point of, and kinks are inherently past the point of normalcy. That's kind of like by definition what they are. I don't know. I just, I wish people would not take things too far to the point where somebody has to die in order for you to come. What's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) Why are you so backed up? (laughs) Like, take a break. Stop looking at porn. Like, Go for a walk in nature. Get some regular dopamine going. Like, eat a nice meal. Cook yourself food. Well, I think it's likely reflective of a greater psychological situation. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's. I always think it's funny when, pol- like, especially Republican politicians will get mad at, like, they'll try and pass some anti-gay stuff. Or maybe not politicians, but just anti, like, homophobic people in general. It almost seems like they're saying... They're like, these people are deviants. These people are freaks. They've let it all go. Like, I'm waiting for one of them to say like, listen, man, everybody wants to suck dick, okay? You just don't let yourself do it. You think about it, but you don't do it. You don't be gay, okay? Like they're having those intrusive thoughts. You just know it. Oh, they're 100% thinking about having sex with a man, but they're just like, listen, man, I'm not trying to go to hell. It's just not worth it, a dick in the butt. I'm sorry. (laughs) Of course I want a dick in my butt, but I don't want to burn in hell forever. I'm in a real tough spot here. (laughs) And you over there, Mr. Pride Parade, just get to do whatever you want and you're not worried about hell. How do I do that? So they try and shut it down. Oh, so they just, they can't handle it. They can't, it's hard to see people living out your dream. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so Sharon posted under an assumed name. This is just sort of an escalation in her fetish. I can't wait to see how far it escalates. She posted under an assumed name on a cannibal forum where she searched for a quote feeder. That is someone who would agree to force feed her until she reached her extreme weight gain goal of 475 pounds. Part of her ad for that cute little fetish read, quote, I am hoping someone will help me out and share in the most erotic experience of their life, end quote. Wait, so she's just trying to get someone to feed her until she gains. And how much did she weigh at this point? Do we know? Just looking at pictures, she was she was overweight. She probably needed to put on 200-something pounds to reach 475 pounds. My God. She was just trying to fucking harvest her liver for foie gras, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had 
Favre. Can you say it? Have you ever had Brett Favre? <laughs> um, I have, yeah. I worked in restaurants. Yeah. So like they would do it really nice. But then I found out, you know, they force feed these geese. Which is why I refuse. Yeah. To have it on my palate. Yeah. But with the way they discovered it was that these geese would eat as much as they could possibly stomach before flying down south. So sometimes before they got down south, they'd shoot them and be like, man, this thing's liver tastes fucking good. Oh my God. Oh, it must be because they're eating so much before flying down. So instead of waiting for them to eat and then fly down, they just lock them up in pens and shove food down their beaks with a... A tube down their beak, and then they literally are yeah, just shoveling it. Yeah, that's so heartbreaking. And I'm really impressed that you know this. Yeah, you 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 know a lot, Tank. I do. You're interesting. Thank you. So Sharon indicated that she'd be willing to relocate for the right feeder, <laughs> as it had been. It Wait, had to hold be- on. <laughs> okay, take a minute. Looking for someone to feed me, trying to gain about 200 pounds, willing to relocate. Well, it had to be done in person, meaning she would not take orders virtually. It's like she wouldn't let somebody do it over the interweb or the phone line. You can't do it remote. Correct. That's fucking I mean, it could be done, but that wasn't her fetish. She wanted it in person. So she said she'd relocate. I have the opposite fetish where I wish for like a month someone would just lock me up in a prison cell, but I didn't do anything wrong. I don't want to commit a crime and just feed me like 1,200 calories a day so I can lose oh, yeah. weight. Or give me like a wicked stomach virus that I know I'm going to recover from in like five days. Yeah. And then I'll reach my goal weight. No, I really need somebody to like help me stop eating because I can't. I just, I, I like it too much. What about putting a lock on your refrigerator? Oh, I've done it. I know. It didn't work. Mm. Well, you have to do a lock where you don't know the code. I didn't know the code. It was a key lock, and I woke my wife up in the middle of the oh, night to give me man, the key. Man, that is serious. I, know. I got two days out of it, though. Two days where I didn't need the middle of the night. Mm. Yeah. I don't like the idea of you not being able to eat when you want to. Like, it's sad for me to visualize you trying to get into the cabinet, and it's locked. I know. I'm sure she didn't either. That's why she gave in. I, I don't like, blame oh, her. That bastard just wants a little peanut butter. Let me give it to him. <laughs> and then I choke on it in the middle of the night. So Sharon promised that once her enormous goal weight was met, she and the feeder could then eat her. And like, (laughs) she wasn't offering a leg, a thigh, some breast meat. She wanted to be fully consumed to death. Alive. Yes. Or not. The point is, is that she wanted to be tortured. She wanted to be force fed until she was then cannibalized. Now, unfortunately for Sharon, there weren't any takers. But (laughs) we're really starting to see how deep her desire ran for seeking pain, torture, and her desire to be killed. Can you just imagine her driving around, going back home, excited to check her computer and being like, no responses? Fuck! Again? I got to tweak the wording on this thing. (laughs) Some more (laughs) suitors. Like maybe, I don't know, like in, you know, in recovery... There's this step that you have to do where you tell someone all of your deepest, darkest secrets and everything you've done that makes you feel like less of a human and not worthy of love and all this, whatever. And there's a saying in there, like, if there's a name for it, it's been done. So like, don't feel so bad about this thing that you did. Obviously, you're not that person anymore. A, B, you're not the only person who's ever done that. This chick is already defying that law. I mean, I think she may be, she's one of the few people discovered with this paraphilia where she literally has a fetish of being tortured and killed. 
Like I imagine her at a Sex Addicts Anonymous meeting with like nine years free of this obsession and her being like, I fucking posted online to try and find a guy to feed me and then eat me. That's how hard up I was. I mean, she's going all in. She really, really wants this. And there is a difference between like role-playing and fetishism and kind of like acting out like, oh, bondage. Like I want to act like I'm not in control. So tie me up. And you know what I mean? But then to a point, like it ends, you know what I mean? She did not have that point where it ended. Do you know what I mean? I do. I mean, I relate to it only because of the drinking. I know normal people have a shutoff. I didn't have a shutoff, but thank God I'm not fucking- I mean, that's really big of you. Like you can relate. You just flip the script. You're like, I can relate. And I I could see where that would be. And I'm just amazed that, because it's such a specific problem to have. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It's a real- It is. I've never met somebody like this before. I'm waiting to hear the rest of this. Oh my God. Okay. So I learned about a fascinating psychological phenomenon that addresses the way in which one masks himself or herself or themselves for the purpose of assuming a variety of other personalities. So they sort of block off who they are or who you know me to be, who society knows me to be, so that I can go explore these various other personalities that I have. Pop quiz. What is the name of this phenomenon? Is it called A, schizopersona phenomenon? B, Mardi Gras phenomenon. <laughs> C, camo facade phenomenon. Camo facade? Like camouflage, I guess. Schizo person phenomena. Um. Is that your choice? <laughs> no, I'm just singing uh, the funk phenomenon by Redman. Jesus. Uh, they're so, I mean, schizo persona phenomenon, Mardi Gras. Or camo facade phenomenon. Or camo facade phenomenon. I mean, they all sound made up. Two of them are. I know. This is very tricky. You got to give me a split second on this one. Okay. Schizo persona sounds uh, like it's real, but then I, uh, you're also crazy, so you probably did that. Uh, uh, Mardi Gras phenomenon. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well done. Psychologists refer to the Mardi Gras phenomenon to describe the ability to conceal one's true identity and take on different personalities, allowing them to say and do whatever they want without fear of repercussions. This phenomenon is especially widespread on the internet where users can communicate anonymously in chat rooms and online forums. Oh, I get it now. So like in Mardi Gras, you act differently because you're in Mardi Gras, you pull your top up and you'd never do that at the supermarket. You just like... Right? Well, yeah, and Mardi Gras masks. Yeah, okay. Right? So this case has largely been identified as one of the first occurrences of the Mardi Gras phenomenon, where an individual, Sharon, employed various personas to reduce the probability of facing repercussions for her conduct. Wow. Interesting, right? Yeah. So getting back to Sharon's online escapades, or sexcapades, she couldn't find a feeder willing to help her reach her goal weight and then eat her. So she moved on to a more direct approach by posting the following ad. Quote, hi, my name is Gina. I was wondering if anyone out there would want to talk about the subject mentioned above with me. She must have put, obviously, a subject line. I kind of have a fascination with torturing till death. Of course, I can't speak about this with my friends or family. Would love to have an email exchange with someone. If you're interested, email me at Gina108. Wow. So she was looking for... Uh, a gigolo slash hitman yes. slash chef. <laughs> Maybe not the chef at this point. She's moved on. But yeah, exactly right. Sharon's approach to searching for information on her own murder was not well received by the online fetish groups. 
Many people who use these chat rooms do so as an escape from reality, right? And they know to recognize the boundaries between fantasy and reality. For other users, Sharon's requests for information about a real death ruined their fantasy world and made them uncomfortable. Some people on the forum actually tried to talk her off the ledge, but she replied, quote, I want the real thing. I did not ask for you preaching to me. She knows what she wants. She's a woman who knows what she wants, and she was not going to be redirected. Two days after posting this message as Gina, Sharon received a response from a man named Robert Frederick Glass, known as Bobby Glass, who was a 45-year-old North Carolina-based government computer analyst who worked the same job for 16 years and never ruffled a feather a day in his life. Another normie. Bobby was said to have been a quiet introvert who largely kept to himself. He responded to Sharon's message and he said, of course, we all have our fantasies, would like to share mine with. One of mine is to torture a naked woman to death. And his username was Slowhand. Wow. So, I mean, the internet really has a way of connecting people that should just not fucking be connected. You think? Yeah. I mean, that's part of the problem with the internet is that you find people... No matter how depraved or twisted the thought is that you have, you can always find someone to validate it rather than someone in your life going, are you sure you want to be tortured to death? Even online, she was having people who were saying, are you sure you want to be tortured to death? In the torture that's, chat rooms. That's they were how like, extreme she was. Wow. Yeah, I guess everyone's got boundaries. Right. Well, and fetishes are supposed to sort of, like these online forums, be a safe place to kind of push but not overstep. <laughs> and you're scrolling through the, the chat. It's like, I like feet. I like pee. Somebody kill me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Turns out Bobby Glass had been seeking this very thing for quite some time. Oh my God. What a disaster. <laughs> right before this online match made in hell was made, <laughs> Bobby's wife of 14 years, Sherry Glass. Yes. Her fucking name was Sherry Glass. Like a glass of Sherry took their children and left Bobby after it became clear to her that Bobby had, quote, more passion for his hard drive than his marriage. Bobby had been spending hours upon hours on his computer, which understandably caused Sherry to get suspicious. So one day, she logged onto his computer and discovered some very troubling emails saved to the hard drive. And these weren't even the emails he and Sharon were writing to each other. Sherry later told the Washington Post that the messages were raw, violent, and disturbing in nature. So in May of 1996, she took the kids and got out of Dodge. Can you imagine being married to someone for 14 years and having no clue that your spouse was a violent sexual sadist with a thirst for torturing naked women to death? I, I feel like you'd pick up on something being a little off. I, I feel like I would. I don't know. I found out Dave brushes his teeth in the shower and I was like shook. Oh no, that's a good move. Well... When I first discovered that, I was like, how did I not know this? I don't do that, but I get the logic behind it. I just, I mean- He has I, a very clean mouth, so. I shave in the shower. I can't do, I can't be doing all kinds of things in the shower. <laughs> Despite how bizarre and implausible this all appeared to be, the conversations between Sharon and Bobby, aka Gina and Slowhand, were <laughs> genuine and thorough. Sharon was adamant about wanting Slowhand to end her life. Pop quiz. What is the name of the paraphilia in which an individual derives sexual pleasure and arousal by the thought and or risk of being killed? 
Oh man, this is I'm excited for this one. My my uh etymology is really gonna come in handy here. We're gonna talk about the etymology in a minute. All right. This yeah. is so exciting. Is it A Fornophilia? B climacophilia, C self injuriophilia, D auto assassinophilia. Fornophilia. Climacophilia. F- Fornophilia, California, Fracophilia. <laughs> Laverne and Shirley. What was the other one? <laughs> Self-injuriophilia. Self-injuriophilia or... Auto-assassinophilia. Auto-assassinophilia. Um, auto-assassinophilia? I am beyond impressed right now. I, I don't know what to say. That's you, me? That's correct. Only reason I even thought that is because of auto-erotic asphyxiation. I don't know why auto is always linked. linked I can tell you why. Auto means oneself. So in this case... Auto, oneself, assassinophilia, assassin. Like autobiography. Assassinate oneself. When you write your own life story instead of, okay, God. I wish people could see my face right now because my jaw is on the floor. Yeah, I'm fucking killing it right now. You are smashing it. I am doing real good. The other ones, one of them I made up, self-injurophilia I made up, but fornophilia is a real paraphilia. It's it's, um, turning a human being into a piece of furniture for sexual objectification. <sighs> you are speechless for yeah. once. Wait, turning a human being into a piece of furniture mm-hmm. for sexual gratification? Objectification. Objectification, like... Like, come sit on me, I'm a chair. Come put your coffee cup on me, I'm a table. And it's a fetish. I wonder if Tom from Succession has a fetish. He made somebody into a, a table. Did not, he? Not dead. Well, no, this isn't this isn't death related. This paraphilia, this is just a sexual paraphilia. So, like, come put that cup of coffee on my lap, and then yeah, baby, let's yeah. How are you doing that yeah. with a cup of coffee on your lap? Put though? that lamp on my shoulder right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that's a strange philia. That's that's wild. Paraphilia. Climacophilia is sexual arousal from watching someone fall down a flight of stairs. (laughs) These are real, man. Oh my God. My my roommate used to make fun of me because I've been on the internet for a long time. And it was like 2005, maybe 2006. And he's like, what are you watching? Girls fall in fucking mop buckets again? That was always his line. That's what he used to think of when I'd be on like Reddit or whatever or YouTube. Yeah, I wasn't uh, wasn't getting off on it. It was just funny. I think things are funny. But I can't imagine getting turned on by somebody falling down a flight of stairs. I know. I think we're very lucky that we can't. I can't imagine it's an easy thing to live with. <laughs> so what are you into? Imagine uh, feeling horny. You just like drop someone down a flight of steps. <laughs> sorry. Around the corner and be like, that was good. Sorry, I was so close. <laughs> I just had to, yeah, I can't. No, I mean, these, we're talking like single digit amounts of people, right? I mean, there's enough people that it has a name. It has a name. They had to name it. So you know the thing about autoassassophilia, right? I mean, I have many points of confusion regarding this paraphilia, but for me, I'm just going to speak for myself. Like when I go to enjoy something, it's obviously to enjoy it in that moment. But I also think about how I'm going to sort of continue enjoying it after the moment passed, like a good meal. I love a good meal because in the moment it's delicious. And I'm walking out, I feel satiated. I'm like talking, you know, with Dave or whomever about like, God, that was so good. How good was that appetizer? How good was it? Like you talk about it. I maybe like plan to go back to the restaurant because it was so enjoyable. This is just an example, right? But with autoassassophilia, like 
once you have that sexual peak, you're dead. Yeah. I mean, maybe you're dead even before you have it. Like metaphorically? No. Like you're li- dead inside? No, literally dead. Like maybe you get, I, I don't know. It's it, 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 the only thing I can think of to compare it to is meditation. And I know this, this sounds weird, but I promise there's a point. Like consciousness, fully pure being, pure being, full consciousness disappears the second you think about it. So it's like you can't enjoy them both at the same time. You can only have it and then think about it, but you can't, the second you go, oh, I'm conscious. No, you're not. Now now it's done. You got to wait another 10 minutes to get into that space. So like, I just don't understand how this person or anybody could be getting sexually charged from being killed. I mean, the buildup, I guess, also plays a part of it. Like, you know, it's coming. So you're feeling good. Just anticipating it? Feeling something, I guess. Uh, Yeah. Maybe they are dead inside and that's the only way they can feel something. Right. They can't be wired. um, I don't want to say normally. No, yeah. I feel bad saying that, but. They're not working at Target, you know, like a normal part. They probably can't have a normal job. Maybe that's, you know what, to your point, maybe that's why Sharon was an online entrepreneur in 1994 when AOL was the predominant website and like it was it was her and Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary Vaynerchuk was building his father's wine business and she was looking for someone to kill her. That was it. All right. Listen. <laughs> Both successes in their own way. Death life. She made it onto Psychopedia. Yeah. So Sharon and Bobby emailed each other constantly over the course of a six week period, amounting to nine hundred pages of correspondence, which later proved pivotal to investigators working through the case. And during this pen pal period, Sharon and Bobby hatched a murderous plan. In those 900 pages. That's correct. On October 13th, 1996, Sharon Lapotka told her husband, Victor, that she was going to see some friends in Georgia. Sharon left while Victor was at work and he never saw her again. About one week after she left, Victor found a note that she had written and left for him that said she'd never be coming back and that if her body was never recovered, he should just know that she's at peace. Sharon embarked upon her final journey from Maryland to Charlotte, North Carolina at 8.45 on that October evening in 1996. Bobby picked Sharon up from the train station and together they drove an additional 80 miles to his trailer on the edge of Pisgah National Park. I wish I was a fly on the wall. For that conversation? For that conversation. Nice weather we're having today, huh? How was your ride? How was your train? You're really going to kill me? Yeah, so we're going to do this, right? Like, Do you think our husband was like, why didn't you ask me? <laughs> Uh, no. (laughs) Once they arrived at Bobby's trailer, the pair immediately began living out countless sexual fantasies involving torture and pain. It's what happened next that eventually left investigators, the medical examiner, and Sharon's husband, Victor, in a state of absolute confused horror. On October 25th, 1996, police in North Carolina were granted a search warrant after Victor alerted authorities five days earlier to his missing wife and his discovery of the 900-page email correspondence between Sharon and Bobby detailing her planned homicide. Now, remember at the top of this episode how I mentioned that this was a legally significant case, right? That's because this case was reportedly the first one in which a police department was able to obtain a search warrant based on evidence gathered primarily from email messages. Judge Beale issued a search warrant for Bobby's trailer and investigators arrived at his home while he was at work. All right, so you're following the trail here, right? Victor alerts authorities. He finds their emails. Authorities 
are able to get a search warrant based solely on the email exchange, and they're now searching his trailer while he's at work. The area around Bobby's turquoise trailer was strewn with putrid garbage and abandoned toys, and the inside was just as filthy and cluttered. Amidst all the yuck were items belonging to Sharon, as well as a 357 Magnum pistol, drug paraphernalia, various torture devices, leather straps, wire, rope, wooden frames, knives, skewers, pins, soldering irons, and loads of child pornography. Ugh, of course. And of course, on Bobby's computer was the 900-page fucked-up correspondence between him and Sharon. But what investigators didn't find or rather who they didn't find, was Sharon. That is, until D.A. Brown, the lead investigator on the case, noticed a large patch of what looked like recently disturbed land just 75 feet outside of Bobby's trailer. That's far enough. I mean, try harder, dude. You live on the edge of a national park. (laughs) Feed her to a bear, bro. Fuck, man. Do better. So they start digging, and they hit what they believe to have been a human kneecap. And sure enough, just two and a half feet below the surface in a shallow grave lies Sharon Lapotka's decomposing remains. Her body was found with a rope still around her neck, her wrists and ankles bound, and scratch marks on her neck and breasts. Needless to say, Bobby Glass was arrested the next day. While in custody, he admitted that for a few days, he and Sharon had consensually acted out their violent, erotic fantasies in his trailer— He told investigators that Sharon was willing to let him tie her up with rope while inserting various household objects inside of her. Like? Pop quiz? Like? No, like (laughs) any of the ones I just mentioned above. The blender. Um, No, The skewers, the rods, the pins, the torture devices. So I I have a quick question. I don't know if you know the answer or if you're going to get to it. Was the point for her to be tortured until the point where her body gave out and died? Or was it like torture, 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 put a bullet in my head? It was not a bullet in the head because I think she wanted to be, I don't think, so the way I interpret it is she didn't want like three days of nonstop torture until her body gave out, but she wanted to enjoy sessions of sadomasochist sex and then to have an ultimate, um, oh my go out with a, you know, final strangulation type of situation. And that is exactly what happened. During the investigation or during the interviews, rather, Bobby also indicated that Sharon allowed him to tie a rope around her neck and tighten it as she climaxed during sex. This is not an unknown sexual game. Yeah, all of the three days of violence was in the course of sex. I thought she, forgive me, I thought the whole point of her sexual appetite was torture, not actual sex. You are correct, but they still had three days of violent sex before the final act was committed. So Bobby's admitting all of this, right? He's seemingly like pretty honest. He's like, listen, we had very violent sex for three days. She allowed me to insert objects from around my house inside of her. And she allowed me to tie a rope around her necks and to tighten it while she climaxed. But crucially, Bobby maintained in all of his otherwise forthcoming confessions, that Sharon's death had in fact been accidental. Basically, extreme sex play gone wrong. And he was quoted as saying, quote, I don't know how much I pulled the rope. I never wanted to kill her, but she ended up dead. As far as how and why she wound up in a shallow grave 75 feet from his front door, rather than say like in the back of an ambulance, like why didn't he call an ambulance if this was a supposed accident? Well, he said he panicked and he buried her. 
Sharon's body was sent to Dr. John Butts. It's actually his name. Uh, North Carolina's chief medical examiner. The autopsy report stated that the cause of death was accidental strangulation, as there hadn't been any substantial bruising around her neck or really anywhere else on her body. Her injuries were pretty mild, all things considered. And according to the ME, there were no physical indications on Sharon's corpse to even indicate that she'd been tortured sexually, even consensually, for three days and or deliberately suffocated. So she died of asphyxiation, right? But there were no signs that it was deliberate. I mean, this is a doozy. Yeah. Because, yes, people are into that kind of thing. Is the line death? Like, because if she didn't die, nobody would give a shit. They'd That's be like, true. Damn, they're into some freaky shit over there. You'd see the whips and chains. Well, and it wouldn't be on anyone's radar if she didn't die. It wouldn't be on anybody's radar. But what I'm trying to say is that there's no harm, no foul if the person doesn't die. But how far do you push it to the edge before the person actually dies? Right. And then where does the person who, in this case, were tighten the rope, fall on the accountability spectrum? Ah, uh, man, this is like, I feel like laws are good, right? Laws are good. But there should be like a separate set of laws for like specific cases where you're like, are you, sh you sure you didn't mean to kill her? I swear to God. All right, then. I mean. <sighs> it was more than that in this case because they had those emails in which she very clearly not only consented, but desired this end. Right? So Yeah, I don't know. So the police disagreed with the ME, obviously. The ME saying, like, I can't say that this death was deliberate. What's an ME? The medical examiner, I'm sorry. But the police are saying, we can absolutely say that it was deliberate because we have these email exchanges that say that the death was deliberate. And there was just basically overwhelming evidence aside from just the physical autopsy. There were the emails. Yeah. Sharon's death created a lot of discussion around the dangers of this new computer information system called the internet. Many people were calling for censorship, which brought out anti-censorship groups, and a great national debate sparked. What was the right legal outcome here for Bobby? Was it first-degree premeditated murder? Was it consensual homicide? Was it something else? Called... Is consensual homicide a thing? No. Oh. Right? Was it, was it suicidal masochism, which apparently is a thing? Was it suicide? Well, assisted suicide isn't even legal in a lot of... Like That's a good point. Most states. I think it's legal in two states, Oregon and somewhere else. But I don't know. But that that's the first thing I thought of, obviously, is like you have a terminal disease. You don't want to suffer for the last three months of your life. You just want to like go to sleep. And does it matter that Bobby sexually enjoyed it? Like in that case that you're describing, it's a doctor on the other side who was purely following the order of the patient. Unless that's his thing. Oh, good point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I can't imagine that people, I mean, people, obviously people do enjoy it, but I can't imagine that you would get into that simply for the gratification of it. But yeah, it's a tough, uh, yes, ultimately it makes everyone sad. I mean, suicide is not illegal. There's no one to prosecute. So if someone kills themselves, it's like, what do you do? Everyone's just devastated who loved that person and who knew that person, you know, but yeah, it's all about the lead up, like the line. The line is very, the line is very thin, but definite. It's like you're alive, you're dead, legal, illegal, right? What the fuck? It's just tricky. 
I know what you're saying. It's black and white, right? Like there isn't. Like you're alive and then you're dead and that's it. You've crossed the line. I agree. And the, eventually the law came to that same conclusion. But I think it's a very funky situation. I don't think it's so clear. What did the law, what, what wound up happening? Bobby ended up being charged with murder in the first degree and also received additional state and federal charges relating to the child abuse images he'd had in his possession when they ransacked his house. So that obviously 100% I stand behind. Forgot about that. He was held without bond in the Caldwell County Jail, but his testimony never wavered that Sharon's death was an accident. Ultimately, on January 27th, 2000, Bobby Glass was convicted of the lower charge of voluntary manslaughter, which is defined as the crime of killing another human being unlawfully, but unintentionally. Even that's fascinating that they came to that conclusion that it was unintentional based on those emails. He was saying like, I really, really have this like deep desire to torture a naked woman until I've killed her. And that's precisely what happened. And yet they came to the conclusion that it was unintentional. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, you know what it, what it boils down to? People are a lot of talk, right? So this woman, Sharon, was like, oh, I just want someone to torture me and kill me. And then maybe like when you're at a 9.7 out of 10, you go, uh, no, 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 I don't want to die. I changed my mind. But like, is it too late at that point? Have you, have you tempted the person too much that also expressed to you a desire to kill, to torture someone until... They kill them or maybe you're the torturer and you're like really doing damage to somebody and then all of a sudden it looks like they're going to die and you're like, holy shit, this person's actually going to die. I didn't really want to kill this person. I just wanted to like fantasize about it. I don't know. This this case is... Uh, Mind-bending. Yeah, my brain hurts a little bit. Good. I don't want to think about it anymore. Good. Sharon Lapotka and Bobby Glass. So Bobby's sentence for the voluntary manslaughter of Sharon Lapotka was only 36 to 53 months in prison. 21 to 26 months in prison was added on for the sexual exploitation of children, all amounting to a minimum sentence of four years and nine months and a max of six years and six months. Two years into Bobby's sentence, what happened? Final pop quiz. A. Bobby's sentence was extended after he accidentally killed his cellmate while engaging in autoerotic asphyxiation. B, Bobby was released early for good behavior. Or C, Bobby died of a heart attack. Oh, um, I thought somebody would have killed him because of the child, but uh, died of a heart attack? Yes. Yeah, I mean, this wow. ep- I'm just on he it. leveled today. up in yeah. this episode. I'm just on it. I, I, something told me he was dead. He died of a heart attack in a medium security prison on February 20th, 2002 at 1.30 a.m., just two weeks before he was supposed to get out. Oh, wow. Well, fuck it, dude. You, you, the ch- I mean, in some ways, the child thing is obviously just much more incriminating than the freaky thing he was doing with the woman. It's like, all right, dude, you're not just into freaky shit. You have zero... Uh, regard for the world around Moral you. compass, yeah. Yeah, your moral compass is shattered. Yeah, I mean, he he had every right to go to prison. Like, he, he 100%. But I do think that it's, it's a little gray. I mean, I, I guess voluntary, you know, manslaughter, saying it was intentional, maybe that's sort of the, the medium, right? I mean, involuntary manslaughter would have worked too. Because it would have. A lot of different charges could have worked here. It's, it's such a tricky case. I'm going to... Ask Jessica to kill me every day for the next seven days and see what she does. See what happens. See what she says. Hi. 
See ya. Thanks for listening. Day one, she's like, yes. <laughs> Thought you'd never ask. How do you want me to do it? <laughs> no, man, that's... uh. And listen, you know what? Her mental fitness here, Sharon's, right? Also is questionable. Severely. So then it calls into another issue, which is just this like ability for people to prey upon other people who have mental illness. But were they preying upon each other or did they just, did they if find somebody each other? has mental illness, maybe it's not that hard to convince them that this is what they want. No, what I'm saying is obviously Bobby had mental illness as well. So did she. They just linked up and were like, let's fucking mash mental illnesses together into a homicide, to a voluntary manslaughter in a trailer somewhere in... North Carolina. Yeah, that's what happened. Fascinating case, right? This case actually inspired a 2008 movie called Downloading Nancy. Oh, I want to watch it. Yeah, it only got 17% on Rotten Tomatoes, but... <laughs> wow. Yeah. But exploring the strange psychological aspects of this case was a big part of what made researching it so interesting for me. And again, I think this is a big part of what's appealing about true crime is just that it gives us this opportunity to look into the mysterious depths of the human mind. I just can't understand how these people in all of these cases operate, function, make it through life to the point where they're like 40 years old, some of these people, when this stuff happens. But also like, I guess you got to give time for the illness to marinate and mm, become and grow and be traumatized. Take over, enough. yeah. They probably fight it. There was an escalation in her story as there well. There was, absolutely. I'm just looking for someone to feed me till I die. And then eat me. That's it, no big deal. This is the internet, anything just goes. do it. All right, fine, you know what? You don't want to feed me? Just fucking torture me then and kill me. Take out the feeding part. That probably takes too long anyway, you're right. <laughs> I took it too far. <laughs> <laughs> stepped over the line. I guess even that's even more fascinating that even these people who are into this crazy kinky shit have boundaries and they're like, no, 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 too far. She rubbed, you know, elbows with those people online. You she know, was their the, leader. No, the people that were saying you've taken it too far on the forums and the chat rooms and the, you know. Wacky case, Sharon Lapaka. Is she still alive? No. What a fucking idiot. <laughs> 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 Define a lot. Wow. <laughs> yeah, she's she walking the streets. She had Subway right now, eating two uh, foot long sandwiches. Trying to get herself extra started. mayo in case somebody wants to eat. Oh my after god! After I put on a few. Oh my god! I'm so dumb. <laughs> wow. I, I'll tell you really quick. Mardi Gras. What is it called? Mardi Gras phenomenon. Phenomenon. The only time I experienced that fully was when I dressed up as the Easter Bunny for work at the restaurant in Huntington that I was working at. And I'm telling you, I never felt freer in my entire life. Was it like a full mascot looking? Like you were in a- Oh yeah, a... head to toe. Why'd you feel free? Nobody could see who I was. And I was just walking around, you know-, you know uh, Did you hop around? Dancing. No, I was on the street trying to get people to come in. Dancing, waving. Right. Nobody could see who I was. I felt free. But then I, I, was, I was like jacked, like a jacked Easter bunny. And, Sounds uh, just fucking freaky, man. Yeah, Donnie Darko style. And no kids would come near me. It was very- uh, very hurtful. And their parents wouldn't let them go near you either. No. I was like, get over here. I'm going to fucking give you some candy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hop over to you. Yeah, just 230-pound Easter bunny. That's, I mean, don't you think that that's what the internet is for people? It's a big bunny costume that they get to hide behind? <laughs> <laughs> wow, you know what? But yes, I yes, I do. But I used that anonymity to express joy and love, not being an, an asshole. 
And that's the case. Sharon Lapotka and uh, consensual homicide, if we want to call it that. The case of feed me, fuck me, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Give us five stars on Apple and Spotify if you're listening to it. Listen, on Spotify, you don't even have to write anything. You just click the five. Do you love us or not? Please love us. We love you. It's It's got to be mutual or it's just Simple question. Yes or no. And on Apple... Listen, uh, I don't want to read all the reviews because there was a bunch of new ones, but we see them. And we thank you so much for them. We like them. They make us feel good. We do. We text each other about them. Yeah. We take screenshots and it's it's happy. Yep. It's happy for us to see. Thank you. Oh, yeah. It, it, does, it makes us feel good. So um, listen, if you're enjoying the episode, just please rate it, review it, subscribe it, share it with somebody. Let somebody in on this little sick world of ours where we make murder funny or we try... Dark humor. Dark humor. Dark humor is where we're at. So we will see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.